The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you that as we heard read and prayed earlier, that our waiting for you is not a waiting in vain, it is a waiting in certainty. You've promised to come again and, and claim us and, and own us fully. And in the meantime, you've given us a down payment, a surety for that promise, the spirit who resides within us, who dwells in the midst of this church, the temple, who dwells in the midst of us, each individual, each individual Christian, the temple. You reside within us, your spirit, as a promise, as a, as a guarantee of the promise that you will come and get us. So we wait for that day and we wait in confidence. And in the meantime, we ask you, by your spirit who resides in us, to teach, to conform us to Christ. Lord, you said that your spirit in us would take everything that is passed from father to son and illumine it for us children. All that the father is in the son, the spirit makes known to us. Told us that in John 16, and I pray for that ministry of the spirit right now to be carried out in this room, in the hearts of each individual here. Make known to us the truth. And then, Father, by your Spirit, would you move us to be followers, to embrace the truth and to, to willingly sit under it, to receive it, to be molded by it and drawn on by it. What I think of my own life and the life of, of individuals here and all of the various ways that we may be distracted, led into all kinds of other paths. But would you please claim us, Spirit of God, and draw us on to the way. Help us to follow the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Use this passage this morning, Lord. Place it in the context of the other things we've already said about this, this passage. Use this, use this time this morning of considering this passage and build up your church and bring honor to the Son. And because of that, build your kingdom. So use this time this morning, use this word, shape a people, and build your kingdom. Thank you for this opportunity, Spirit of God, to sit under your ministry to us, carry it out in power, and build up your people. Honor the name of the Son, and to his name that we pray, amen. Turn our attention this morning to Luke chapter 9, where we will again consider once more, this important passage, this call from Jesus regarding discipleship. It's important that we, that we look at this in several different ways because there is so much in it. Verse 23, we heard the commands that he spoke to anyone who would listen, to anyone who wanted to know what he required of a person who would be a follower of his, a, a disciple, or, or we might say today who would be a Christian. Anyone who wants to come after me Here's what you have to do. 
deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Those are the two main commands in that verse, the main, main commands in that section. To deny yourself, that is to, to deny your own agenda, your own desires, goals, inclinations, habits, your own self. Set that aside and turn away from that and pick up your cross daily, consistently. And as we, as we considered that, we saw what that's saying is uh, pronounce an end to your own life. Do that every day, consistently. So turn away from yourself and turn towards me with all of your all. Take everything out of your pockets, everything out of your closets, everything out of your life. Put it on the table in front of me. Leave it there. And then consistently come follow me day by day for the rest of your life. That's what I require. Anyone who wants to follow me, that's what I require. That, that's what Jesus said. So see that command and realize that that is a, a high call, a, a high and, and difficult call. And then last week we gained some greater clarity on what it would mean to be in submission to him and to his word. As we looked at verse 26. We looked at the whole passage, then we looked more at verse 26 last week and saw there a warning about the person who is ashamed of me and my words, says Jesus, the person who sets aside Jesus and his words, who denies Jesus and his words and instead follows something else. So we looked at that and, and we kind of flipped it around. We can't be that kind of person. We want to be the person rather who, rather than denying, willingly sits under, willingly submits to and is controlled by Jesus and his word. And in particular, what does it mean when Jesus says, submit to be under my, my, my model and my commands? Well, in the context of Luke, he has shown us that he is about one thing in particular. He goes from town to town to town to town to town, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing, restoring, redeeming people. And then when he calls disciples, he says, come follow me in that. Come follow me and I'll, I'll make you to be people who catch men. Come follow me and I'll give you my power, my authority, so that you can go out and proclaim the kingdom and to heal. So he is on kingdom establishing and kingdom growing mission and then he calls disciples to come with him on that. And that's the, that's the main thing presented in, in the context here of Luke so far, that if we, if we were to miss that, we can't honestly say that we are coming willingly beneath Jesus and his word and, and being controlled by it if we miss that point. That was what we looked at last week. And we're reinforced in, in all of this, this, from my perspective, hard call. We're reinforcing all that by, by how Jesus often reminds us that he is the one, we considered this last week, he is the one who has already come in glory to the Father. And he sits reigning in heaven, and then we know is going to come in glory to this earth. And from heaven now over us, and one day when he comes to earth over us, he pronounces honor. Not shame. He's not ashamed of those who follow him, but he instead honors them. So keep that in mind. We, we can hold that, that while the world may reject us, there is this one over us that we are following who says honor and will redeem us all at the end. That much so far. But now we're, we're going to press into this a little bit further and consider what is admittedly another minor point, another, 
another piece of help that Jesus gives us. I'm going to be focusing on, on just one piece of this passage, barrier. Jesus here brings out for us a, a barrier that we will encounter as we consider there's Jesus, there's his model, there's his word, there's his call, there's what I'm supposed to do, but, but there's a barrier that he alerts us to that would stand in the way that might, that might keep us from following him like that. So we're going to consider that, particularly focusing on verses 24 and 25. And it's highly possible that if this is your first time here, you're going to say, I think you're missing the main point. And what I want to say is I probably talked about that two weeks ago or last week. I am indeed talking about something kind of beneath the surface, something down beneath the main point. So if you, if you want to hear more about it, then I would refer you back a couple weeks to the previous sermons. But I am focusing this morning on something Jesus gives us, confronting the barrier that might tempt us, that might, might tempt us away or might stop us from following Jesus as he requires of us. So, so I'm going to look at this morning. I'm going to read the whole passage. Inevitably, something from the rest of the verses will, will creep in this morning. But I am focusing particularly on 24 and 25. But let me read this whole paragraph beginning in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's the whole passage. I'm going to make two observations, primarily from 24 and 25. Here's the first one. This, this, is, the main, this is the main point here. Faithful disciples do not seek their lives in the abundance of this world. Faithful disciples. We're wanting to be worked what we're in pursuit of, faithful disciples do not seek their lives in the abundance of this world. If we look at the passage, we notice something about how Jesus aims to help us here. He gives the command in verse 23, and then as we mentioned before, he sets to reasoning with us. In a very helpful way, he, he sets the command, and then he gives us supporting reasons that, that, that draw us on towards gain, towards profit, towards finding life. Here's Here's good reason why you would want to follow me like I just called you to. In verse 26, if we considered the, the negative there, we actually flipped it over to see what we would want to be positively, somebody who, who follows Jesus and receives honor from him. So we've been talking about the, the positive piece, but we have to acknowledge that in the passage there is a negative thread. And the man that we talked about last week, flipping him over, he's presented negatively in verse 26. There is a person of whom Jesus would be ashamed, who would set aside, would deny him. And that man is the one who is ashamed of Jesus and his words. Someone who turns away from Jesus and his teaching. Like how? 
Jesus doesn't want us to be that. He wants to warn us away from being that. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, we look back into 25 and into 24 to see the kind of the, the negative thread that runs through all three of those verses. Flows like this, 24, 5, 6. You could make, Jesus might put it, here's my words for Jesus' statement, you, you could make deliberate choices to try to save your life, to try to get a life and hold on to it and secure it. But you'll end up losing it. In fact, if you were able to gain the whole world, the whole world, and hold on to it, that wouldn't do you any good. Because, 26, the one who's ashamed of me, the one who turns away from me in my words, I reject him in the end. You forfeit your life you lose. That's, that's the, the negative thread there, the negative side of the argument. So there is help here. If, if you look at not just the positive argument, but you look at the negative, he brings up something that is a temptation to us. That is a draw away from following him. We may face a temptation to seek a life in what we can get what we can see, what we can acquire, what we can protect. Verse 25, we might be tempted to seek a life by acquiring all the stuff of the world. All of the things, all of the, the resources, all of the relationships, all of the opportunities of this world to grab it all and say, here is a life that satisfies me. Here's a life that fills me. Here's a life that gives me hope and meaning and purpose. I grab it all and I hold on to it and I live for it. And Jesus says, don't do that. You will lose. You are tempted towards that, but you will lose. Human societies and families and then individual people, we... We have to live for something. We all get up in the morning. We have to live for something. If you were to just look at all the things that we, that we aspire to and live for, you could put together something like this. We all want a life that is whole, an existence that is whole, that is it's sustainable, it's true, it's good, clean, as in right, It's safe, enjoyable, pleasurable even. It has enough work in it to stimulate us. We don't like being bored. But not so much that we're worn out. We want, we want enough work to stimulate us and enough prosperity to, to provide rest and ease and comfort and enjoyment. We want to be able to have enough independence to pursue leisure activities causes and desires and we want to be able to do all of that within a community within a human community that in some way is safe and good is cooperative and friendly and dependable and beautiful now for you change some of those words as you like maybe you don't really care about beauty that much but you like fascinating Maybe you, you don't really want work that's stimulating. You want work that's easy. 
Change it according to your personal taste, but then what we should see is that what we really want is a life that can be changed according to my personal taste. Because I want to be able to exist in a way that I can take all this stuff and I can kind of plug it in here and feel good about it. Okay. That's the human dream. That's the American dream. And the unique thing about American there is that more than any other culture in the world, more now more than at any other time in the world, many, many, many people in this country can actually get it. Or if you can't quite get it, your next door neighbor got it. And you can see how he or she did it. And you can kind of move towards it and aspire towards it and invest your time and your resources and strive so as to get it. That, those words that I put together in that section there, it's, it's my attempt to express life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The American dream. We almost can gain the whole world. You realize when Jesus speaks that, it's hyperbole for most of his audience. Most of his audience is living hand-to-mouth subsistence. When their bodies break, they're doomed. When their husband dies, they're doomed. But we here today, we, we don't... I mean, you've heard this, but you really don't get it. I, I've heard this, I don't get it. But we live, we, all of us in this room, now, if we were to evaluate all of us in this room and we were to compare everything about all that stuff I said, we'd be in different scales, but the whole thing right here is way above the rest of the world and the rest of history. We have so much We have gained so much and can see how to gain so much more. We live lives in the midst of so much, and it is very difficult to, to not just instinctively, thoughtlessly, accidentally kind of tighten our fists around, and I say this accidentally almost, to tighten our fists around, our minds and hearts around, and, and to ordinate or organize our schedules around, and to think of all of this that we have as life. What fills us up and what satisfies us, what we were made for. It isn't. But we drift that way. We are to embrace the kingdom mission in this passage if we are to be the people of 26 flipped around the people that Jesus says there's a person there's a people that are in fact willingly submitted to me and to my word that follow me where I'm going if we're to embrace that we must choose to deny self 
take up our cross daily. And that means we must choose to lose our lives, this life, this American dream life. And I'm trying to say this carefully and slowly so that it sinks in. I'm pushing pretty hard in one direction. I'm going to come back. I'm pushing pretty hard in one direction here. Go with it for a minute. Do you see this? Jesus talks about people. He warns us about people who seek to save their life, who might in fact acquire the whole world. And we live right there. Right at the door of danger. He's talking about us. There is a temptation that Jesus has laid right in front of every single one of us. You might think, well, I'm not as, I'm not as well off as so-and-so over there in the third aisle. The guy behind me makes more money than I do. The one person in front of me has a bigger family than I do. But we're all here compared to the rest of the world. This is a difficult temptation for us. We live in a land of plenty. And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm talking about that whole list of stuff, opportunity and safety and health, the, the freedom to pursue various endeavors. And it is very, 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 very easy for us to just drift into that and think that that kind of life is life. It is what fills me. It is what satisfies me. There is a danger there. Now, let me push back in the other direction. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that God gives us good things to enjoy? Yes. Absolutely. And isn't, in fact, some of this abundance that we have in America actually because God, God, God has blessed us? Yes. Absolutely. I love being an American. I am thankful for it. I might like being German or French too, I don't know. But I'm thankful that I'm an American. And I'm thankful for the fact that, that this is the world in which I was born and I have grown up in and all the opportunities that I have here. We should not throw out America. God made America and God has blessed us with this moment in time that we live here a gift given from him to enjoy. And all the opportunities that we have, absolutely. Here, see, I'm pushing the other direction. I didn't, I'm not negating this. I'm just bringing up something else. I'm going to balance this too. God has given so much here that we should enjoy, that we should pursue, that we should live in the midst of. However, this is the key, with this attitude, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The end of 1 Corinthians 7. Write it down and look at it later. I'm just going to treat it very quickly now. But jot down verses 25 to 35 of 1 Corinthians 7. There Paul talks about marriage and other things in life. And he does them 
He talks about those things by putting them into context in his words there in 1 Corinthians 7. In light of the fact that the present form of this world is passing away, or as Jesus puts it here in Luke 9, in light of the fact that the Son of Man will come in glory and in the glory of the Father and with the glory of the, the heavenly angels, in other words, in view of the fact that the end is coming. That's Paul's context in 1 Corinthians 7. That's our context here. We think about Luke 9 and the things that God gives. That's his context. And he says then, talking about marriage first, you should live, talking to men, you who have wives as if you don't. Remember this little line here? And you who mourn as if not mourning. You who rejoice as if not rejoicing. You who buy things as if not owning them. You who deal with the world as if not dealing with the world. As if, as if, as if. You, in fact, clearly are married. You, in fact, clearly are mourning or rejoicing or buying something or dealing with the world. Clearly you are. And Paul says that's fine. Do it, as if not doing it, as if not. Engage with it, as if not engaging. What does he mean? God gives things to enjoy and enjoy them and use them in enjoyment properly as pointers towards the giver and his goodness and as pointers towards a place where he says, I have more where that comes from and it will last there. Enjoy this and enjoy me. But realize it's all passing away. The time here is short. Use it wisely. Use it well. Have we been given much in America? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Should we enjoy it? Thank God. Bless God for it. Yes, absolutely but recognize that right there is a massive temptation. We live right at the door with all of that abundance poured out, the, the, the wealth, the prosperity, the, the abundant security and independence and health poured out, blessed by God. Here, we face a massive temptation. We actually might acquire the whole world, and we can see a life right there that we could have and hold on to. Paul brings us up to the church because the church needs to hear it. And we are perhaps accustomed to reading through Luke 9 and saying, well, Jesus finishes all those statements with something that's clearly not about me. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost or forfeited himself? Well, he's not talking to me. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be lost. So he's talking, he's warning non-Christians, but not me. No, whoever would follow me, let me tell you what's required. Whoever. And Paul clearly brings us up in front of the church. We have to hear this temptation and be, be alerted to it. It is of utmost importance that we think not only of, of the positive that Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, just to put it all on the table, and then to follow him. What does he mean? What am I to put on the table? The American dream. 
whatever particular angle of that you are, are most inclined to pursue. Me? I don't care about cars. I love houses. I, I don't care about vacations. I love alone time. The American dream might provide me a house. It might provide me enough leisure to sit by myself and not have to work, 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 work. Those are the aspects of the American dream that I need to put on the table. All of us, all of it, different flavors and different colors for you, but all of it, gifts from God to be enjoyed as if not. To be held in our hands as if not held. We have to think through these issues and questions. If we're actually going to follow him. I can talk about, I can, I can preach the first sermon and the second sermon. And if I don't preach the third sermon, we end up being like fish in the ocean that don't you don't see the water that we live in or the water that runs. Think about fish. The water actually runs through them. We don't see the water. We don't even taste the water as it runs through us. And we can all say, yes, I, I hear the call of verse 23, and, and I see I want to be one who sits beneath Jesus' model and beneath Jesus' word is willingly influenced by it and follows him into mission. Great. But what I need to then say is, so watch out that you don't get tricked into, get lured into thinking that your life consists in the abundance of what you have, whether those be possessions or opportunities or freedoms or relationships, experiences, pleasures. Watch it, watch it, watch it. It is unlikely that we will be conformed to the model and teaching of Jesus as fishers of men, if we do not give deliberate thought and then make deliberate choice along these lines. The words of verse 24 point out choosing. Losing life and saving life, those are choices that we would make. Choosing to give up pursuits or modify them. Choosing to change how you spend your time. Choosing how you prioritize leisure. Choosing where you work, how much, at which jobs. What do you look for as you move through the day? Are you looking for people? Are you praying for opportunities to love them? This all takes initiative, mental and tangible initiative. And it's personal. Every now and then I'm in, I'm in some sort of a um, kind of theory level, I mean, and I mean that in a positive way, I mean a theory level conversation about Jesus and, and mission and purpose and the Great Commission and, and spreading his kingdom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of like at the theory level we're talking about what the church should be and how the church should, should pursue the world. And understand those are big categories that really don't mean anything because the church is individuals. The church, corporately speaking, is doing what the church is supposed to do right now. 
as I, hopefully, equip you to do the work of the ministry. This all becomes incredibly personal because it's not the church that follows Jesus into mission, it's you. You have to think about who you will invite to dinner on Thursday night. Not the church. The church has avoided scheduling anything on Thursday night so that you have free time. Do with it what you will. And then hopefully you'll come to this and you'll say, what I will to do is what you would will to do. Lord, here's my Thursday night on the table in front of you. What should I do with it? And you consciously think, what could I do with it? And what would advance your kingdom here tonight? That's, that's a choice in your hands, not the church's. What you say or don't say to the person in the next cubicle on Tuesday morning at 10.05 when you're walking off to coffee break. Do you stop and say hello to her or him? And did you pray for him or her that morning? Lord, provide me opportunity. And when I say hello, would you provide conversation? Would you give me a heart for him or her? That, that's, that's you. It's much easier to not do that. At every turn, it's much easier to not do that. For me especially, I, I, I live most comfortably in the world of, of the Steve Silo. It is hard for me to talk to people. But where this lands in my life and perhaps in your life is to think, am I going to pray for my next door neighbor? And then when I hear my next door neighbor out working, am I going to walk outside, peek up over the fence and say hello? It would be easier not to. But I did. We had a conversation and it was good. That's a choice in the life of the individual Christian, not the church, it's you. And Jesus warns us, and there I'm talking about nothing material at all, there I'm talking about just choice with life, time, and schedule. But that's a piece of, that, that's a piece of the American dream, of the human dream. Autonomy over my time and the freedom to do with it as I wish. My time surrendered. So Christian, individual Christian, he calls you to faithful discipleship. He calls you to faithful discipleship. And then warns us, alerts us, and attempt to help us with that, warns us and alerts us to a very large temptation, the temptation to build your life with things that you can touch and see here on earth. Be alert to it. Stand on guard against it. Take the blessings that he has given Use them as pointers towards him, as pointers, as reminders towards the, 
the great kingdom that is coming. Use them and enjoy them, but use them surrendered. We are hesitant to do that. Because it feels often like we're dying. I don't mean that literally, but I mean, are you, are you telling me, he, me, are you telling me that I, I can't ever do X, Y? I can't ever pursue what, what I want, what I long for. Are you telling me that? If I, if I were to give that up, I don't know what I would have left. Well, in addition to talking about how 1 Corinthians 7, use it as if not, there's a second point that I need to bring up that we need to keep in mind. It feels like we're losing life, but Jesus repeatedly here promises us that we actually are gaining it. That leads us to the second point. one meant to help us. The kingdom life you will save must be your constant, vivid motivation. So I'm, I'm not saying that what we are to be motivated by is, is some sense of, of denial. There, there's an important sense of denial, but the constant, vivid motivation must actually be a sense of of affirmation, of pursuit of something. The kingdom life that we are actually saving. Verse 24, I'm talking about the, the first half of that, the person who would seek to save his life, but the second half of that is actually about the person who will save it. Who will save it, not just seeks to, but actually does save it. And it's meant to encourage us. So there's this there's this temptation, there's a strong temptation there. I, I want to gather together, I want to acquire life, and I'm very reticent to give up life, to give up a feeling of, of satisfaction, a feeling of hope. And Jesus says, I, I understand that, but let me tell you where life is actually attained and kept in the giving up of all of this for my sake. That's the second half of the verse. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's a promise from Jesus. That you have to kind of put there in front of you and, and not let it slide away. But you've got to put it there in front of you and say, do I believe that or not? And whenever you're evaluating a promise, you have to evaluate, somebody prayed, I think Bob prayed this morning, you have to evaluate the, the track record and the character, and in this case, God's word. You have to evaluate a promise made in light particularly of character and track record. Do I believe this promise maker or not? This is one who says, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. He has already himself gone there and done just that very thing. This is Jesus, remember the earlier in the book, who in one moment in the wilderness was offered all of the world. 
Satan lifted up in front of him all of the kingdoms of the world and in a moment showed him all of the glory and said, you can have it all. You can, in fact, gain the world. And he said no to that. He turned away from it and denied it and walked on and carried his cross day by day by day and then literally one day picked up his cross so that he can then say to you and to me, when I make you a promise, I can deliver this promise. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be possible. Because all of us, if we're honest, all of us have in fact lived for this world. And we all in fact have attempted to build a life with the things that we can acquire. But he says, I can, I in fact went through that myself so that I can give you real life. This is the blessing of the gospel as it comes into our lives here and now and one day. Jesus says, brothers and sisters, Jesus says, Jesus promises you when it looks like you're giving away life and losing it all, in fact, in fact, keep in mind that one day, there is a day coming when he will stand on the earth and will deliver to you the kingdom in all of its fullness. You have to remember that. In the face of all kinds of sacrifices and losses right now, do you remember, can you see that there is a moment, a day coming when he will deliver to you the kingdom. That day is coming. And that is an important fact to know and to keep in mind. But because God knows it's hard for us to keep facts, truths, in mind and make them real. He has done more than just tell us about this. He has deposited a down payment of it in us. He has put in you, Christian, he's put in you his life even now. The Holy Spirit who resides in you. For my money, this is I think this is probably about the most important two minutes of the sermon, I think. Because I am helped, as I walk through all this, I am helped to see danger temptation. I'm helped to examine my own life and see I, I am inclined there towards this. I do believe often that this is where life is. Okay, good. Good to be warned about that. Con called to, to be on guard against it. And I am helped as I am reminded that there is a day coming, that the, the time now is short, and this world is ending, and there is a day coming when everything will be weighed out and the real life, the real kingdom will come. I am helped by that. Do you know 
what it is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And do you realize that you cannot have that and be seeking to build a life with the things of this earth? They are mutually exclusive. And the beauty of, of this, this little portion right here, if, uh, there, there's, no, there's no way in my human words, there's no way that I can express this to you in a way that is persuasive. So I just have to ask God the Spirit to persuade you. This life, the real life of God, within that must be the vivid motivation for you to watch out for the American dream and to actually set it aside and surrender it and walk away from it and to walk into fellowship with God. That life lived inside you, experienced and tasted and seen and longed for when, you, when it's absent. That life has to be the vivid motivation. Truths, ideas, don't, don't really cut it with our hearts. So do you know What Jesus has done in, in the gospel is not to, to just deliver to us the future, but to deliver to us life in the present, life right now. By the Spirit of God living in us, the fullness of God dwells in you, Christian. And the only way you can walk with him and enjoy fellowship with him is like this. Open-handed and surrendered. Denying self and taking up cross daily and saying, here's me. Will you, in fact, give me life? Will you, in fact, cause your life to run through me? Yes, so yes, there's a future orientation. But this, this lived life right now, this fellowship with God right now, as he dwells within me and controls my mind and my heart and colors my life in ways that look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's, that's my only defense, my only sure defense against seeking a life in the American dream. Not a denial of that, but an affirmation of this. Spirit of God, own me. And I realize I can't be owned by you. I can't hold you. Well, my hands are full with this other stuff. I have to let go of that to hold you. Now, obviously I'm mixing metaphors there. And I don't hold him. He lives within me. He holds me. But you get the point? I can't have both. You can't have both. Have you ever tasted and seen and experienced the walk with God that is sweet and that is that is his wind blowing through you, him giving you his life. You can't have that life and this life both. That's the only motive that works for me to give up this one, is that I want that one so much. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that him in all of his abundance is worth it all? If you're a Christian, you have some point you have. So what I plead with you now is 
watch out for and don't be tempted to choose the small life, the abundant American dream. He means to be more for you. The abundant life that Jesus came to bring us is the life that you really want. It does not consist of the things of this earth. You can have that abundant life if you don't have anything in this earth. The life that you really want, the life that you were made for, the life that you want to save is the life that God the Spirit will live through you as you open-handed surrender all of you to him and say, use me in your kingdom purposes. You won't drift there. It involves conscious choice. The person who loses his life for my sake, the person who says, I give it up consistently, day by day by day by day, moment by moment. But as you do that, you will find fellowship with God that fills your soul. You will find life. And for the sake of that, say no to the smaller lights of this world. Let me pray. Father, would you I just say, would you tie up the loose ends and clean up the mess? Would you would you land in particular people's lives? Would you land the issues, the questions, the challenges, the encouragements, and the hopes that they need? For your people here. Father, would you give us a, a glimmer of it? Maybe it's, maybe it's a very small glimmer because it's been a long time. But would you give us a glimmer of a, some sort of a, of a sight of, a taste of the sweetness of life lived with you? Surrendered to you in fellowship with you, believing that you will be what we need. Give us a taste of that. Some here face really difficult situations in this world right now. Would you give them a taste of fellowship with you now and a taste of the reality of the coming world? Some of us here are 
are knee-deep or, or neck-deep in lives that are not surrendered to you. In kindness, will you lead us to repentance? I said earlier, you promised us that in returning and in rest, that is in repenting and in rest, we will find life. We will be saved. So call us back, please. Others here are, are running on already in, in pursuit of you. Give them strength. Help them to inspire and to encourage others. Lord, in all, Lord, I pray that you would make us a church of faithful disciples. Who lay down our lives in front of you. Who willingly follow you into your kingdom work. And who are alert to and resistant of the temptation to build life with the things of earth. Give us life in you, please. Build up individual people and families and a church that looks to you and longs for you and walks with you and enjoys you. You are our hope. Fill us with hope, please. Fill us with life, please. pray this in your name and that you would be honored here, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.